Hello. Hello. I'm Alex. And I'm Val. And we are here at the end of In at the End. Hmm. I know, that was lame. Nonetheless, we are about to talk about Made in America, the final episode of The Sopranos. It's crazy. I have been crying. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. She has. I... As soon as Don't Stop Believing comes on the jukebox, I just like started weeping. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. We even watched that final scene twice. Well, we get, because we write notes as we watch the show. And as we got to that scene, I think we thought that it was a good idea to just watch it and then yeah. maybe just rewatch it so we could write down some notes on it and we could enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but I cried both times. Cried so. both times. <laughs> it is always emotional, but after working on this for over a year, and analyzing every episode immediately afterwards, it really is something. It really adds up even more. So, because this is the last episode, if you're just tuning in to hear this, <laughs> which <laughs> that, I imagine will happen, uh, yeah, this in, is a in podcast. A, in at the end. Yeah, this is a podcast where we watch every episode of The Sopranos and then immediately we come and have a discussion about it. So, because we like to talk to each other. Because we like to talk to each other. And typically in our life, the entertainment that we choose is watching Sopranos and then talking about it. So on this viewing, we had the idea of just recording those conversations and putting it out there. So it's uh, it's been going on now for over a year, and I can't believe that we're finishing it. But yeah. there's so much to talk about in this last episode, and I've personally been really excited to delve into this one. Not only for the ending, which is talked about... I mean, maybe more than any ending of any show ever. Probably. So extensively, but also the episode on the whole, because I think that it ties into the themes of The Sopranos as a series, and it really does wrap up the entire show, and I think it's just so expertly created. I just, I love it so much, and Mm -hmm. I think it's perfect. Mm -hmm. I think they really leave it in a perfect place. I'm definitely a fan. (laughs) I like this show. We definitely like this show. That's what we've learned. Um The thing that we also really enjoy is hearing from people who also care about this show as much as we do and who have ideas. So do email us and let us know your ideas or your thoughts or if, you know, something we said resonates with you or Or not. Or offends you. Or, yeah, or deeply offends you. Um, Let us know. Yeah. We... Yeah, I think, you know, we're going to try to... So we typically also do, except we didn't do for season one, but we... Or two. Or two. But (laughs) we we typically also try to do like a season recap at the end of each season. More of a discussion, more of kind of like... Yeah, recap is the wrong word. Deconstruction of the themes and kind of looking at what happens from beginning to end of a season and where... Yeah, so some of that might kind of seep into this a little bit just because it is, I mean, it's... It wraps up this entire... I mean, it wraps up the entire season, obviously, but it also wraps up the series. So right. uh, we do want to have a few maybe further discussions, probably a season recap. Right, 60. And, and maybe even kind of like an overall process recap. Mm. But yeah. we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Special bonus features to come. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this has been a long time coming, so I guess we can do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of places that we could start in this episode. I personally would start with the final scene. (laughs) (laughs) I think, first of all, that's probably what people want to hear 
us talk about, if anything. If you want to hear us talk about also, anything, it's probably Also, our podcast is called In at the End. So why don't we just jump in at the end? <laughs> God, two of those immediately. That's yeah. rough. Yeah. I'm annoying. Really Sorry. rough. Um, okay. What I want to talk about with this is that there are some rather kind of definitive theories that are out there about the ending. Yes, and people who have written on these things extensively. Extensively and, and much clearer than we could in a podcast and do a much better talking. job than yeah. we could do as people. So we'll probably be referencing those. In fact, um, a pretty definitive one, and actually one of the people who reached out to us, which was really cool, is this uh, website, Masters of Sopranos, which we're big fans of, and we think offers a really comprehensive view of a reading of the final scene. And the reason why I want to bring that up is because... There are these theories kind of floating out there, and we're going to talk about our opinions of the ending. And in many ways, I do prescribe to the readings of what happens in the end, but in other ways, I have some other ideas. But in terms of laying out the details of Tony is dead, Tony isn't dead, who did it, I would rather divert to these other resources that are yeah. out there because I think that they do a better job and... They can, they, you know, I they, think they're they, very they have a lot of like screenshots and things like that, which are screenshots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, freeze frames of, of scenes. Um, and of course, like they've, you know, written it out in a yeah cohesive kind Absolutely. of manner. But... And that, that website, Master of Sopranos, is worth checking out because it is very comprehensive. I think it's like a first place that a lot of people yeah. go when they do finish the show. Yeah. Because it does lay out this very uh, convincing theory. Of what yeah. happens to Tony. And I think that it's relevant to probably any interpretation. Um, but for myself, I I think the ending kind of is a little bit more symbolic or something than just meaning whether Tony dies or not. Mm. And I think that I'd like to get into these, sure. these themes and ideas. But the question of does Tony die or does Tony live isn't actually the central question of the end of the show. I think, I mean, I think it is a question of the end of the show, but I think what I take away from it is it doesn't matter. Right. And that is how I feel yeah. as well. I think that... It's all a big nothing. <laughs> it's all a big nothing. <laughs> or not. Or don't stop believing. <laughs> but I think that there's like a human fixation on wanting to give an answer. Mm -hmm. to is Tony alive is he dead to give these absolutes and one of the central themes of the show is to deal in ambiguity to recognize this human behavior of wanting to answer questions and, and not being able to this idea of black and white viewpoints and constantly throwing us ambiguity and I think that we're given the ultimate ambiguity at the end of the show where we can never know what happens there is a case made that Tony dies and to give like a very like a kind of quick recap of it because I think it is relevant um, there are these bell sounds that that occur every time somebody is entering Holston's and every time a bell sound happens we're triggered to a point of view shot from Tony so the camera switches and what we see is what Tony sees whoever's entering and yeah. this is made very clear by the positioning in the room Tony enters the room there's a kind of jump shot to where he's sitting in the restaurant so we can see where he's looking that he has a clear view of the entrance and we see different people entering the restaurant. We actually have many examples of people entering so we really establish this pattern. Yes. We have Tony enter, then we have kind of like a random lady enter. Kind of like a Janice. She kind of looks a little bit like a Janice. Curly haired lady. Yeah. <laughs> we have guy with USA hat. Yeah. We have Carmela. 
we have AJ entering with behind a man another guy behind another guy wearing a members only jacket. At the end, we have this bell sound trigger again as the door opens, as it has every time. But Meadow does not enter. Well, we also have the uh, the black guys who enter too. Oh, that's right. I missed yeah. that. Sorry, but um, we have this cut to black. This <laughs> Sorry, iconic, <laughs> very <laughs> important. That actually is pretty important. There's a lot to talk about mm-hmm. there. Um, but in the end, we have this cut to black that's triggered immediately after the bell sound rings, and because we've established this repetition of going to Tony's point of view, the theory is that Tony has died. Now, this is backed up by a number of things. There's this flashback that happens at the end of last episode, going back to the first episode of Sopranos 6B, Sopranos Home Movies, where we t- where Bobby says to Tony, it's probably like you don't even hear it happening. We have the scene where Syl is in New York, and there's a, there's a hit right next to him, and there's slow motion he doesn't recognize until after it's already occurred. The flashback is a very rarely utilized technique in The Sopranos, and typically it kind of backs up something to be of importance. So we are really, our attention is really brought to that statement. At the very end of the last episode. At the very end of the last episode, which kind of segues into this episode. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that. We will talk about that mm, <laughs> also. Don't get off track. Um, the theory is that the man in members only jacket who walks in is the one who is ordered to hit Tony. We have a lot of emphasis on that character, right? We have a lot of you emphasis know, on that we, character. We see him, we we definitely see him come in with AJ. We see him glancing kind of shiftily around. We see him we see specifically him looking at AJ and Tony. And interestingly, we have a shot on AJ with clear focus on him. Yes. Man in jacket. Kind of like peering. Sorry, man in jacket. Members only jacket. Man in members only jacket is out of focus, which is also showing that they are not aware of him. Yes. But we are. So there is this focus on him as a character coming in, looking at Tony, choosing to go to the bathroom. Tony is aware of him as he walks in. He's not as aware of him as he kind of gets behind him to go to the bathroom. So the timing with the bell ringing and Meadow entering is in line with the members only jacket man leaving the bathroom, shooting Tony. Again, also a reference to Godfather. Yeah, to, to Godfather 1 and this like iconic mob hit. So... Continuing. (laughs) (laughs) Members Only Jacket, also referencing to, I believe, Season 6A, Episode 1. Members members Only. only. This little plot point with Eugene Pontecorvo wanting to leave the mob, being unable to. He shows up to the scene at Satriel's wearing a Members Only Jacket. So there is a bit of connective tissue there, referencing Members Only Jacket guy to Eugene Pontecorvo and this kind of like mob connection. Also to the fact that there are so many people that Tony has impacted in his life that there are all these people who could want to kill Tony. I mean, we're coming out of this New York mob war. Of course, there's people on the New York side who could still be interested in getting rid of Tony. Yeah, I mean, Phil Leotardo just got hit. Phil Leotardo just got hit. He just took out a boss. boss. So it's pretty clear why that could be happening. Actually, Um, Walden took out a boss. Walden (laughs) took out a boss, our favorite character. (laughs) We have even that reference to Eugene Pontecorvo, I'm bad at pronouncing his last name. I apologize. Val's glaring at me. She's unimpressed by my pronunciation. I think it's just Pontecorvo. Pontecorvo. Yeah. Okay. I'll work <laughs> I on it. I think. That. I don't know. There are people who could have reason for Tony to be killed. The other well, everybody. Obvious, everybody, basically. We've talked a lot about collateral damage in the last episode, specifically using examples like this guy on a motorcycle who was killed as fallout from a hit on Sill, in addition to the Ukrainian guy and and his daughter 
there's a lot of examples of other people being impacted and Tony's behavior having a negative impact on other people. Well, this like, you know, black hole of the Sopranos that, you know, you get sucked in and you're impacted whether you want to be or not. Right. In many ways, it seems kind of inevitable that somebody could want to kill him. The other main plot point is this Carlo Gervaisi story, which is that his son, Jason, got picked up selling ecstasy, which... Um, we've actually come to see Jason quite a bit. Carlos' son and Patsy Parisi's son are the two Jasons. (laughs) The guys who poured acid on the guy's toe with AJ. So there is this other story of somebody flipping, this other imminent danger to Tony that he faces. The other aspect of the end with the cut to black is that there's ambiguity towards what happens to Tony, but all possible readings of what would happen after the show are bleak. Yeah, I don't really it's, see... There, there's never... There's no possibility that life just goes on in, in the way it has been for Tony. Like, whether he dies right now, whether he dies later, whether he die, whether he gets indicted, right? Like, his lawyer, right. Mink, says, <laughs> <laughs> says that there's an 80 to 90% chance he's going to be indicted. Right. right, those are pretty high odds they for are. someone who's really into gambling, like Tony seems to be in this season. <laughs> Increasingly, um, there, there's not really, you know, like it's not ever going to go well for him. Right, and it's not ever going to go away. If in no. fact the pressure seems to be increasing, yeah. And there is a lot of talk of like Tony looking over his shoulder, um, and having to look over his shoulder is an aspect of the final scene, which. We can see him doing. He has to be aware of dangers to himself because of the life that he's lived. In fact, there's even this kind of white-haired guy behind him who who we see, this man over his shoulder, that reminds me, at least, of Phil yeah, Leotardo totally. or the Ukrainian guy. Yeah. This kind of reference to, to dangers both to himself and to people that he's caused. Yep. And how, again, this other reading is that we don't know what happened, but Tony will always be looking over his shoulder is a fair possible reading. I think everything for me kind of feeds into the same place that Tony is left in this very kind of bleak place where his family is actually not complete. We don't have Meadow. We're referencing the end of season one where Tony made the statement that it's these little things that count. It's these times with family, Mm -hmm. which is probably one of the more optimistic readings that we can take from the philosophy of the Sopranos. And we can kind of ascribe some, prescribe some value some value to it but at the same time tony doesn't even remember that statement when aj references it and we're kind of left with this feeling of tension meadow parking her car in a way that (laughs) makes us feel very anxious we never actually where we park our car when we go to holston's also it's true yeah it is normally where we park there's normally a parking spot there it's normally pretty easy to park yeah and if those cars were there, it would be pretty easy to park in that parking To park, spot. yeah. <laughs> but we're left without that feeling of family connection because Meadow never makes it in. So we have this kind of ultimate tension that we're left with because it never is united. Mm, I don't know. Like, uh, I think part of the thing that makes me cry every time I watch this final <laughs> scene like a baby uh, is that you, there is this, there are these small glimmers of this family that's like, you know, despite their circumstances and despite their huge flaws are just trying to have a little moment of joy, right? Like eat the best 
onion, onion rings. rings in the state. Which they are. Actually, well, I have not d- eaten a lot of <laughs> I don't know. New Jersey Actually, onion to rings. Be fair, I, those are the only ones I've eaten. Yeah, but they like are them. delicious. Yeah. Um, their you know, ice cream is possible. Their ice cream is terrific. I highly recommend. And their burger, what do they call it? House special. The Two house burgers. Special. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend We're not sponsored by Holston's, by the way. I wish we were. I wish to God so strongly that Holston's mm. would sponsor us and give us those house specials for free because if, it's my favorite thing in the world. If you go to our, I don't know how you guys listen to this podcast, but if you go to our show notes of this podcast, um, you can see a picture of us at Holston's. I think it was in an early took. episode. Okay. Well, we, we'll, we we'll put it in yeah. this one again for okay. you. Got it. <laughs> um, yes. So anyways, uh, the, so this family's trying to like, you know, they're, they're busy. They're kind of all like, even though they still are all in this orbit together, they've just come out of this like pretty scary time for them. Right. right? They've traumatic. been separated and yeah, it's like, it's very traumatic, you know? So they, they come together like, you know, the way that Tony and Carmela look at each other, like for me, like I, I can't help to still like, you know, know that they care about each like even though they're both really fucked up, that they care about each other on some level, right? And they are this unit, whether it's good or bad, like they're they have a relationship with each other that's been we've witnessed throughout this whole right. show. You know, when we see Tony like grab AJ's hand when AJ sits down, right? Like it is this kind of like tender moment, right? They were just, you know, during this episode, we have a whole arc of AJ potentially leaving to go to the army, right? And then now they've kind of, like, sucked him back in, which, again, is... Something we'll talk about. Something we'll talk about. But, but, like, the way that Tony grabs his hand, like, he's, like, he's proud of him, right? And he's, you know, even when AJ's complaining about getting coffee and taking calls or whatever, you know, he's, like, it's an entry-level job, like, you know, see where it takes you kind of thing. Um it's tender it's right. you know it is this kind of it's this small moment of joy and yet i feel like it's complicated sure. because the only moment that we saw of joy of real joy for me in this episode for aj is when he's talking about the car His exploding car exploding and he talks about how there was something cleansing about seeing it explode and for me that actually sums up a lot because the car is a gift from his parents he was given it it does represent this materialism that he's seemingly against and this kind of easy way of life that he inherits through the pain of others. Yes. Yeah. Profiting off the pain of others. And when it explodes, there is this kind of movement towards a new life, possibly, mm-hmm. for, for AJ. It it's is like this kind the of... opposite of these baptismal um, cleansings that we've seen in the past. Fire cleansing instead of water. Right. Absolutely. And the explosion is maybe appropriate because that's what it needs. There's also this relationship that he has with Rhiannon that I find... We're, really... we're jumping. We're jumping right to some well, other stuff here. Keep going. That's okay. Keep because going. for me, it's... I want to talk about the ending of the show okay. right now. Okay. Okay. And part of that is where these characters end up. And <laughs> I think that the ending does pull together these threads and does leave us in this sure. okay. place of keep finality. At it. Keep, keep going. <laughs> You're okay. Rhiannon, yes. So, yeah, this idea of AJ saying, ever since it blew up, I feel cleansed or something. That he's, he's, and he has this feeling of happiness that he sees his seat blowing up. I think that we've referenced the SUV at multiple times in the show. We see Meadow getting this SUV in this complicated manner mm-hmm. ages ago in The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. 
we have it kind of as a representation of this easy life that AJ has inherited. And we have Tony having these complicated feelings about coddling AJ from his mother. But the reality is that both of them are just giving him things and haven't allowed him to be his own person, work for himself, really work hard. There are these moments where, for instance, Tony gets him into this construction job where we see AJ actually doing better. Mm-hmm. And the moments where we actually see AJ on a better course are where he falls out of this soprano orbit, which is something that we talked extensively about in Blue Comet, the last episode, if you're interested in orbits and our very <laughs> poor understanding of solar systems and <laughs> astronomy. And comets, yes. But for me, that's a very interesting moment because it does represent this time where AJ has found a relationship that he's engaging in that's different than the relationship that the the relationships that his family has Mm. we see him actually being friends with Rhiannon which goes against how his dad would act around women Mm -hmm. he hasn't actually inherited his dad's proclivities and his kind of womanizing and his fundamental lack of respect for women Mm -hmm. that we see throughout the show and they actually are friends and AJ is worried about how it could be a bad idea and ultimately they do kind of share this tender moment and this connection that they have for me what seems like a real connection Mm. and the car blows up and we're left with aj not having inherited these material objects that he does have issues Mm -hmm. with and he can point out the issues with but in the end he's pulled back into the orbit well sure like i was gonna say like the bmw his parents got him of course he just said it's not a suv well i mean and that goes to this example too of what i see a lot in this episode is referencing that statement that Melfi saw in the academic study talking about using, uh, I, I forget the exact words, but like rationalization or using interpretations as a criminal op- to, to rationalize or what is it? Yeah. I didn't you know write that ta- one down. You know exactly down. what yeah. I'm talking about, but this Maybe idea of using <laughs> insight as a rationale for criminal operations. Yeah. It's a paraphrase, yeah. but it's something like that. There For is heinous this. activities or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Using your insight to justify your unacceptable behavior. Yep. And I think that that's what we see Meadow doing. And we'll get to that when we yeah. talk about Meadow. But we definitely see AJ doing that as he's gifted these things again and his life is made easy. He ends up the episode as this development executive, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, he's given another car. There's these examples of him being pulled back. Like when Tony picks up AJ... We see him running, again, like an example of physical activity. Yeah, like doing him, something healthy. and Yeah, doing something himself. Yeah. Right? Moving towards something himself. And, and Tony comes, kind of jokes about the Rocky theme and gets him back in the car. And there's this kind of sad ending where we're left with AJ being pulled back into the orbit. And I have very little faith that he will become his own person and break through the no. curse of the Sopranos. No. But likewise, we see Meadow, like, whereas in se- end of season three, right, we see Meadow running the opposite direction across a very similar looking street. Absolutely. We see her in this episode running frantically, like almost desperately, right, right. to towards her family, right, towards uh, this whatever black hole <laughs> which is how yeah. I like you know and um there's that you know really key scene when she goes out to dinner with tony by the, to have sake bombs or whatever have sake bombs. <laughs> um 
where you know she she comes out more fully with her rationalization for why she's chosen criminal law and it like puts it out there for us entirely right, right? like if i had if i hadn't seen the fbi pick you up all those times where was i yeah. Uh, if I hadn't seen you dragged away by the FBI so many times, I would have been a boring suburban doctor. Um, this, like, and you see Tony's face kind of in, in response to that, right? Again, we talked about this last episode. I don't think that that was Tony and Carmela's hope for their children, but what they've given them is, uh, is there's no escape from this orbit. No. They haven't set them up... Um, to be able to go off and live these these independent lives. Right. And also her statements like the state can crush the individual. Yeah. Like, again, another rationalization for me that is yeah. pushing her into because she's law. smart and she like and we've seen her rationalize lots of things with, you know, journal articles she read or Right. I forget what she was reading about like the family unit or whatever at one time when she when she was first at Columbia, right? And she right. like comes out with these, you know, very smart sounding statements right. but they are all these kind of rationalizations for feeling like what she's doing is right and we see all the characters in this show doing that at different points right i do want to talk about more that what you brought up meadow running away from the family at the end of season three and running towards holston's at the end of the series for me that was like the big kind of like light bulb moment of this viewing mm-hmm. of the sopranos mm-hmm. because i think it's so pivotal and i think that the same thing applies to tony sorry to meadow and aj I think that there's this central question of where, who will these people be? Who are they? Who can they become? And ultimately, we're left with an interpretation of Meadow and AJ coming back. So going back to the end of season three, we have to remember the scene of um, Jackie Jr.'s funeral. Jackie Jr.'s funeral, Corrado singing, and Meadow getting increasingly drunk and choosing to throw bread. Point out (laughs) to throw bread. Point out the hypocrisy of the people around her and leave. And she runs away and actually crosses the street. Now, the last scene that we're left with in The Sopranos is Meadow running frantically across the street towards her family. So there's this moment at the end of season three where she is departing the family. She is actively choosing to leave. She's actively choosing to get further away. And in the scenes and episodes that follow that moment, we actually do see Meadow remove herself from the Soprano orbit. And ultimately, I think my interpretation is that she's doing much better for it. And that in many ways, this is the only answer to the toxicity of the Sopranos and this New Jersey crime family. The only thing you can do is leave and extricate yourself. And in the end, this magnetic pull brings them back because we have AJ driving a BMW rationalizing. We have Meadow as a criminal lawyer who's been impacted by her experience as a child, who's been impacted by seeing her dad get pulled away. And we see him actually responding to that. I think he's unhappy that he will not have Dr. Soprano. This thing that has a nice ring to it that he's talking Mm -hmm. about in blue comet. Sounds nice. But there was this inevitability to them being pulled back and not being able to break that curse. And I think it's really interesting because this show is constantly looking at this cycle of generations. What do parents pass on to their children? What do they inherit? And are they able to break this chain of behavior? And ultimately, they never do. <laughs> Especially in this family. Yeah. 
So in the end, what we're left with is basically Meadow and AJ displaying the same behavior as Tony. Acting in different ways, having a different life, but ultimately the same fundamental problems yes. still Follow exist. Them. Yeah. And both of them are unable to withdraw from this self-fulfilling kind of lifestyle that damages others but benefits oneself. Yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting because the the second last scene we get of this episode is Tony finally going to see Junior. Right. And so for me it really does hammer home this this family unit again like this family unit, this soprano curse, right? But in the mm. end Junior is left with nothing. He nothing. doesn't even remember that he and Johnny Boy were the bosses of New Jersey. Right. Right. Like he he doesn't remember where his money is. He doesn't remember his family members. He doesn't remember that he has this right. success, quote unquote, in his life. He right. just has nothing. And I think that's the thing for these characters that that's what that leaves me with is like, again, thinking about, okay, so there's a cut to black and like, now what? <laughs> uh, I think... I think they're all left with nothing. I, I don't. I don't know that any of them have a deeper meaning to their life, right? Like Meadow, you know, for some reasons being offered 170k for not Hooray. even having. Not, is she even in law school? Like <laughs> it's really unclear. But you know, because right. of like because of a man who's kind of getting her like getting her that job and they were saying very like impressed don't by her work don't at the devalue her yeah don't devalue yourself and like telling her these things and that guy seems like the worst. <laughs> well, his family's kind of the worst. Right. Well, everybody's kind of the worst. Everybody the is Supreme the worst. Person. You know. But yeah, like so. Like, okay, so like Meadows' life, you know, where in the end of that, like, what does she have? Um, AJ's life at the end of it, what is he gonna have? And you know, hopefully, these characters do still have potential to, you know, maybe like again, like maybe once Tony dies, I don't know, right? right. Like, uh, maybe there is still capacity there for them to do good and make meaning, but. Also, it could just all be a big nothing, and in the end, you die in your own arms, right? And we right. have and we have Junior, you know, left. I mean, that that scene. I think that's what kind of gets me off on the crying thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sets me up for it because that scene is is kind of it for me in some ways too. I think it is. That's like one of the big moments in this show because we we. I don't know. And it, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about with material goods and things like that. Also, like the things that we hang on to and the things that have meaning in our lives, including this like image of this family and every, you know everything that like this, these characters have worked so hard to create over the course of their lives and of this show is meaningless, right? We have that line from Livia, like in the end, your friends and family let you down and you die in your own arms, right? Nice. Um, <laughs> Tony and Carmela are letting AJ and Meadow down. AJ and Meadow are letting Tony and Carmela down. You know, like there's like nobody, nobody's in it for these other people. But like I said, this this family that kind of comes together, like we do. I don't know. I don't even know. It's, I can't even really put words to it, but. Uh, despite all of this they are this unit right and they do right. and they do have 
these relationships and yeah, I just like hope that they can make meaning out of it. I, I I'm left. I don't know. Well, here's the. the I, I just yeah. I just keep. I, I I'm always left trying to still remain an optimist and not think it's a big nothing. Mm. And so I think like the juxtaposition of you know Tony leaving Junior and then us coming to like have this kind of family moment that is important. Um, right. It's. Oh. At least a little bit hopeful. Well, that I think there's some good. Again, like remembering there, the good little moments, right? I think there is. Yeah. And I think that that's this like fascinating. <laughs> I'm gonna like cry again doing this podcast. <laughs> oh, I know that, that'll be a podcast. mess. Um, there is this like fascinating paradox that happens at the end, and for all of the focus on black and white viewpoints throughout the show, yeah. there is this irony that there is this kind of like ultimate duality of good and evil that does actually kind of end up at the end yeah. of, of the series of is your of these like negative and positive viewings mm. of this of ultimately yeah. you can only see things in these two ways through these paradigms. and there is yeah. this ultimate nihilism that's embodied by Livia but for me there's also this don't stop believing mm-hmm. and there's like David Chase is in interview said actually that the ending was supposed to be much more on point than many people analyzed it to be mm. and that for him it was about don't stop believing that there's all these terrible things mm-hmm. and it sounds insane when you hear that <laughs> i know you're like really it's kind of like, like are you pranking us david chase <laughs> it's kind of like when i started listening to paul thomas anderson interviews and he was asked what there will be blood is what it's what its central message is and what it's about and he said oil <laughs> <laughs> which i loved that was yeah. a great interview <laughs> yeah um nonetheless <laughs> it just reminded me of that also all of his movies were about Family. Yeah. <laughs> Which is true, but awesome answer. Yeah, great answer. <laughs> I think there is something to that, though, and that we are left, actually, believe it or not, on a somewhat optimistic note. Yeah. And that as we're scrolling through the songs, many are actually much bleaker. Right. But Tony does choose Don't Stop Believing. The other ones we have were, you know, A Lonely Place. Even Those Were the Days... Yeah. Kind of tying into turn, these turn, main turn. themes yeah. of the entire Sopranos, reminiscing for times past. Even like going back to the very beginning of the episode when Tony's with Polly, they're listening to this 1963 song, Denise, in the car. There is this constant yearning for the old times. I think in Blue Comet, we were talking about actually like specific examples. They're all over the place. It's not hard to find yeah. this cold open in the second episode. Yeah. There is this kind of coming in at the end coming at the end of something good, yearning for the before times, which mm-hmm. is interesting right now, this idea of like making America great because mm-hmm. it is kind of that. It is thinking back to a time where maybe these people did better mm-hmm. and yearning for it, mm-hmm. feeling that they've been lost. But ultimately, like there is this kind of this constant focus on that of kind of looking back and there yeah. is kind of something sad about it where these people feel like they things are not the same and things have gotten yeah. worse. There's this. This all started from a song name. Those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I've got to be me. I can get into these endlessly. I'm alive. Perhaps foreshadowing. Yeah. For what happens to Tony. Tony has to be himself. I won't even. That's too obvious. I'll let other people depack <laughs> these things. But there is this choice. Yeah. There is this agency. Yeah. Why does he choose? Don't stop believing. Well, that's what we're left with. And the other thing too is that despite the horrible nature of the Soprano family 
and its representation of humanity and the human condition that we can extract from The Sopranos. It is one mafia family, and there are good people out there. Mm. And maybe even though we don't witness them, there are these important agents or yeah yeah and there are these just these things of importance and these like these aspects of good and just because these characters don't exhibit them Mm -hmm. they do exist and perhaps it's a lesson in what is really important Mm. because like you said junior is left with absolutely nothing he doesn't remember who tony is um you know i feel like we kind of go into that scene thinking that maybe it's a it's kind of reflection of Livia acting yeah. as a manipulation yeah. of which we using... had also seen Junior do back right of kind of, exactly of kind of using your mental state as a, as a way of manipulating other people but ultimately it's not that yeah. he can't even do that anymore yeah and he does just forget everything and it's fascinating because for all the conversation about money should go to Bobby Bacala's kids Janice might not do that. Tony recognizing that Janice is probably manipulating her own situation to take these kids to get Junior's money. That won't even happen because Junior doesn't know where his money is. Yeah. So if you live this life this way, ultimately what can you expect? You can expect death. You can expect Should imprisonment. Jail. Yeah. Or you can end up like Junior in a state mental facility. With nobody who cares about you anymore. With nobody who cares maybe about Uncle you. Uncle Pat. Uncle Pat, I guess, kind of cares about you. And this idea of you two ran North Jersey, that's nice. That's all yeah. it is. That's his final scene. Yeah. It's nothing. He oh, was... it's painful. I'm like... sorry. I'm trying to make Val cry. Yeah. Oh. But as sad as it is for these characters in the end, I think we do have to keep on believing. And mm-hmm. I think that even the characters that we're left with, like you said, Meadow, AJ, we can still believe that maybe they can break this curse. Mm-hmm. Oh God, it's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm okay. <laughs> okay, what do you want to talk about? Let's no, no, divert. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's good. Um, uh, yeah, I I think like I mean, let's be honest. Don't stop <laughs> believing is a perfect song. It's a perfect specimen of a song. <laughs> so I really like. I really enjoy it in this moment, and I think you know. I love hearing it at weddings. I love right. <laughs> <laughs> I love the song Don't Stop Believing. And but I do think like I uh, I think there I think that's the lesson and it's kind of like, you know, Tony going back to like that symbol of like the yin and the yang and this balance that we're kind of given we're given these things to weigh in this show, right? Or in, and you know, obviously in this episode, but in in the show on a whole and in every, right, like, so yin and yang, for anyone who doesn't know what a yin and yang is, <laughs> um, you know, there's a little bit of the black and the white, and there's a little bit of the white and the black. And balance. And there's this balance, and, and they're, they're equal, but within, within each of them is contained some of the other, right? And so, like, we can try to see Tony. You mentioned, like, Tony's wearing all black in this in Pretty this much episode. the entire episode. Maybe even, like, most of this season he's, right. he's wearing black. But, like, even in this character that, you know, is clearly bad dude. Right. Um, that there is still this this stuff to believe in. And there is still, like, you know, Melfi says, like, he has some insight into, you know, insightful things to say. And he... 
Right. You yeah. know? Actually, that's a very fascinating reading of yin and yang that I haven't thought of. That was very insightful. It's like Tony's mothers and bus. I like that because yeah. that is what we're left with. Like we do want to assign yeah. kind of like totality or yeah. something like this, like all bad or all good yep. to characters, but yep. ultimately they do all possess some of the other. Yep. And things are constantly complicated by yep. these people. like dualities. Yeah. These, by these like, dualities yeah. and people's behavior that is redemptive amongst all of this other yeah. behavior that is not. Yeah. I, I love the reading that you had too in blue comment of him draining the pool that he does not get a moment of ablution. Yeah. I think that's really, really fascinating, really interesting because in the end, Tony has not atoned for his sins. No. At all. No. And that's what we're left with. No. And I think that... The or does he even, like, recognize them? Like, I think that's the thing. Like, when I right. compare him, again, to one of my favorite characters, Vindicazian. <laughs> the best. Um, who, like, you can see, like, actually does grapple with these things that he's right. done. Like, these bad things that he's done. Tony's never, like, in all his time in therapy and stuff like that, like, he's never really grappled with, right. you know, like, being a good person. I think he's just always kind of taken that for it's more just about like how people around him impact him and you know the negative impact that other people have on him and how he needs to deal with this right like the impact his mother had on him and the impact you know these business dealings quote-unquote that happen around him and how they make him mad um but he's never actually dealt with like himself as a good or bad person i don't think it really bothers him Right. So uh, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't deserve that moment, really. Yeah. Even though, yes, like he has this little bit of, you know, these redeeming qualities in him that we, that we love. And clearly his family loves, you know, like, you know, uh, Meadow going out for dinner, like Meadow feeling like driven by you know, these things that she's interpreted as, you know, injustices to the Italian community, right? And like, and cares about Tony so much that that's where she's like driven to want to make the world better Yeah. in her own way, you know, by helping Italians. Well, Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever she's trying to do, you know. Um, cool. <laughs> yeah, cool. I don't know. Like, you know, so like his end... We, we question a lot more it's it's less it's harder to question like does his family love him because I, I think they they do right his his nuclear family I don't know about Janice but you know like his right. you know Janice his immediate family. I think Janice is equally a narcissist to Tony so yeah it's complicated. yeah so it's complicated but you know we definitely are brought to question like does Tony's mob family love him um great question and I think like in this episode we see well, we see, I mean, throughout the show, we've seen, you know, those moments where Tony looks around and sees everyone laughing at him, right? Or, like, is suspicious of people who mm-hmm. are around him and their actions. Well, we have those, like, you know, the people surrounding him actually becoming very dangerous, right? So with the arrest of Carlos Jason, right, Jason Gervais, um, and potentially Jason Parisi also. Well, that would be a reading. For yeah. Sure. That is like a theory that is out there. And the idea is, I mean, we always see the two Jasons together just to like quickly sum it up. Yeah. We see this very small scene where the Parisis are all over and 
Tony celebrating is, Meadow and Patrick's beautiful relationship. Yeah, and, and they're asked, why isn't Jason here? And then the mom, is, there's this kind of tense moment. Yeah. The mom is awkward and says, oh, I didn't think he was invited. So the theory is that the Jason's always together, always engaged in the same behavior, both selling ecstasy, is that the other Jason was also picked up and Patsy Parisi and his family are also implicated through the same thing that is implicating the Gervaisis yeah. and turn, causing Carlo to flip. And I think that the way that Tony asked that prying question is interesting because it reminds me of Tony knowing that Polly was the one who, who spilled the Ralph Cifaretto joke. Yes. And he kind of pries him with these aggressive leading questions. Yes. We're not given a lot, but the way that he asked that question implies to me that perhaps Tony actually knows or is at a minimum very skeptical yes. of maybe where Patrick Parisi is at this moment. Jason Parisi. Well, no, of Patrick. He thinks, I think he's... Patrick. Patsy. Patsy. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Patsy. I'm sure his full name is Patrick. Patson? Patson. Patson. Yeah. I think for me, I do detect a note of concern because yes. Patsy could be covering for his son, Jason. Jason yes. is the one in trouble or could yes. be in trouble or he's fine. Ambiguity. We don't know. Yes. It's a reasonable, educated guess. I've always found Patsy guess. to be pretty shady, though. Well, we also saw him thinking about killing Tony early. Yes. In this, in the show, yes. pissing in his pool. Yes. So there is some kind of past history there. Yes. But we're really not given a lot. And ultimately, even, even actually the way that his wife looks at the China, mm. there's this kind of like could be read as envy or something mm-hmm. about the success and the financial rewards that Tony has. Obviously, in this moment of political vacuum, people could power be vacuum, look- yeah, 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 power vacuum. <laughs> people could be. I guess there's politics involved. Anyway, you're right, power vacuum. There could be somebody looking to step up and fill the void too if Tony is killed. So there is kind of yeah. things that could be happening yep. behind the scenes and that we could be reading into. Again, fascinating details and i think that the end of the show is not about details i don't think it's about if tony dies or who no who succeeds after i think that the show has given us so much information throughout the course of the series on what they really care about and there's so much underneath the surface that we need to interpret the ending in the same way beneath yeah. the surface yeah I, I think i think that like that something that's also really highlighted in this episode again it kind of links into the don't stop believing it is also the beliefs of these characters that are really highlighted. Again, it's not really details. So, like, we have multiple instances with the cat, right? And Polly. Cat. And, and the things that Polly believes. Here we are. This is one of and my the main things, and the categories. Things that, it's a category of cat? Yeah. Cat my categories category. are death, AJ, junior, cat. Okay. Okay, cool. Let's move on to... Well, well I don't know. We'll see where we go with this. But I think it is... It's... Uh, it does come down to and like and we we've seen Tony throughout this show have this kind of intuition about people right for, based on his dreams right this this episode opens again like i've been paying attention to Tony waking up he actually looks like he's dead absolutely but you know Tony waking organ up organ funeral music coming on and he looks like he's kind of in a funeral also something box i love about that coffin. scene too is that <laughs> yeah. after we leave we see that there are sheets on the bed and the last scene of blue comet there were no sheets on the right. bed so, so we different. know that time has passed yes. at that point and that they've been hitting the mattresses yes. in the safe house for quite some time yes very but, subtle but awesome yes i loved it I however it. yeah so so but we talk about these kind of larger you know again like philosophical beliefs on the world right we have 
Polly not wanting to like, you know, being this very superstitious person, right? He's, you know, very impacted, of course, by this cat, which we'll talk about. But also, you know, we've seen him like he brought up in this episode, seeing the Virgin Mary in the Bing, not wanting to take on this position of a lot more responsibility and money, right? Because it's kind of this cursed position where, you know, Richie and Ralphie and right. Vito and Gigi and anyone who's kind of been associated with the Cifaretto crew has been killed. Right. You know, and so that, and he, you know, in the end, he ends up cracking because he doesn't want to see Patsy right. be in charge of anything. Right. This like fundamental kind of human condition of jealousy or something yeah. overrides it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we see these two characters like Tony and Polly having a lot of similarities, right? Tony believing in this luck since Christopher died that his gambling luck is back, right? Right. But yet the, the two characters also can't understand each other, like, even though their their kind of outlooks or their, I don't know, their superstitions at least are pretty similar. Right. Um, we, we can't, they can't recognize these things in each other. It's this kind of like irreconcilable difference in them. So, I don't know. So we get like, you know, this don't stop believing. It's like, that's like that is kind of what you have to hold on to in the end is like you know best like have your own moral code and have your own beliefs and keep going with them because the you know otherwise there really is nothing if you don't right. believe in anything great love it then you know then love it great then you have nothing right then there's then there is nothing. then there is then nothing. it is all a big nothing Oof. if you don't believe in anything so good love it no, it's true because ultimately these characters do have nothing in this philosophy of nihilism, this philosophy of a big nothing stems from the fact that there are no ethics, that there are no yeah. core beliefs. Yeah. And that's something we've touched on from the very get-go of the show, right? Like the first the pilot episode right. talks about Great coming in at coming in at the end yeah. and that there's like people don't have the same values anymore. Yeah. And I just like it's these ideas that I think are so fascinating that they're kind of embedded in the series finale. And that's what if anything, like our conversation about this, like at least in terms of the readings that I found, so much is just kind of focused on answering the question of what happens in the end of the show. And the which really, is fun, which, which is, is fun, so and, fun and yeah. amazing. And I think so, like so masterfully done mm. and so perfect and such a mystery mm -hmm. and so like just so kind of like expertly crafted in terms of like relating to the narrative, the narrative of mm -hmm. the whole show. But I also think that it's just so fascinating that the show is also the whole time dealing with questions of wanting to look at things in these kind of surface ways and actually constantly going further and actually embedding the real, for me, I think like the real message and real meaning of the show underneath. And that you can also interpret the end of the show in the same way and that there are these kind of meanings that are so central to what the intent of David Chase yeah. and the creators was. Yeah. I think that that's, there's just so many layers. And yeah. I think that to only focus on whether or not Tony dies is one layer. Well, it's like saying The Sopranos is a show about the mafia. Right. And I, I mean, I also, I have so much respect for every everything I've read that does analyze the end. I think there's oh, so yeah, many things yeah. that are no, done no. so well. I'm not trying to be critical. No, no, no. I just, I do think that there's been, I haven't seen as much about the thematic elements or, or something. like. And I think that that's just so central to the purpose of 
this show and the ending. And I think that the Holston scene for me is just such a masterpiece, not only because of the way that they present this mystery and this perfect kind of puzzle to solve and this perfect ending to the story, mm-hmm. but the way that it's just, it's embedded with a perfect ending to the themes mm-hmm. and a perfect ending to the character arcs mm-hmm. and a, a perfect kind of ref- ending to the reflection on America yep. and where it is and yep. how it's evolved as a country yep. and as a culture. Yep. No, absolutely. The thing actually that I loved is that the first time we went to Holston's, it felt like it was even a level deeper than I realized. Mm-hmm. And the show just felt so transcendent to me because not only were these extra levels kind of embedded in the show, but I felt like they were embedded in the place that they chose. So when we went yeah. there, it was this kind of community hub where you actually wouldn't feel strange to see the types of people that you see in the final scene. No. You would see like a Cub Scout group. Yeah, and a couple and, like canoodling and a guy and, and a guy with a USA hat. Yeah. Um, it still is just like that. It's just like that. Yeah. It's this like central... Except they have a jukebox on the one table where... <laughs> <laughs> right. They don't have the one all day. And they also have a lot of stuffed animals now. They, they and do. pictures of Sopranos characters. Yeah, but even that's kind of like under... Like it really just is this like this place that's very reminiscent of past days. And it, holds on to it's these... A, it's a, like a soda shop. Like it has yeah. a counter where you can sit and get a milkshake. And it holds on to these central values of America at that time that yeah. I kind of feel were kind of pivotal during those decades yeah like of family community this kind of like wholesome american food bringing Mm, bringing you know your kind of (laughs) wholesome house special oh god wholesome house special yeah swiss cheese you have to get the swiss cheese it's so good yeah that's probably just because we're not american and don't order the american cheese but the swiss cheese is so good they Mm -hmm. broil it on both sides of the bun Mm mm-hmm we're doing a great job advertising Holston's mm-hmm. in this episode. You should go. It's great. We'll have to go to celebrate. You can invite us. Please email us. And yeah, if you, if you want going. to buy us house specials, we'll talk about Sopranos any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll rent a car and drive out there. It's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there, but there, yes, there is something to this like fundamental Americanness of that place that was so transcendent because that place really is that. Mm-hmm. They chose a place that actually does kind of embody those values mm-hmm. as an actual institution. It seems like it's been in Bloomfield forever. Everybody knows about it. Everybody actually goes. It's not like a Sopran... It, it's not, it doesn't feel like a Sopranos tourist destination. It's not. We're it the feels... only weirdos in there usually <laughs> who give, give a fuck. <laughs> like, Every really... once in a while I see somebody who like wants to sit at that table. But yeah, I'd like to point out how hard it is for us to get there. We don't have a car. <laughs> we don't go to New Jersey, but we've found many times to go to Holston somehow. If there's like anything, like we're like driving on like the I-87, we're like, well, we're in the area. We should probably go yeah. to Holston's and get some onion rings. Yeah. They are the best in the state. Even though it's not the state that we're in right now, it's pretty close. We yeah. should probably go. <laughs> um, okay. How about, okay, cat. cat. We're on the cat yeah. topic. Yeah. So, so cats are just snakes with fur. Cat showed up during the big storm. That's when we <laughs> start to see this cat. Yes. So this gets me back into the topic of quantum sopranos that yeah. was discussed. And Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger's cat earlier on in the show. So we do have, I think Schrodinger's cat is explicitly referenced in the hospital um, that Tony is in. Here's some trivia. What's that guy's name? Oh, God. I know. <laughs> 
Trivia is not our not specialty. my strength. Not my no, strength. Neither yeah. of our strength, but that's okay. You can remind us. <laughs> <laughs> but this idea of actually, how about I have you explain Schrodinger's cat? Because science is not my forte. <laughs> I'm going to sound stupid, and somebody's going to be listening who's like a quantum physicist, and I'm going to sound like an idiot. <laughs> I don't it's, want to. I mean, it's not that. It's not that hard. Uh, I know. It, that's no. still a reflection on my. I mean, so the the theorem <laughs> right of schrodinger's cat is there's a cat in the box and if you open the box the cat will die but how do you know if the cat's already dead or not because the only way that you can find out is by opening the box okay so two possible outcomes right we also have this talk about yeah the cat is alive and in the box the cat is dead and in the box right or you've killed the cat by opening the box right we also have this moment where uh, Polly's talking about the cat looking at the picture of Chris, um, which is interesting actually for me because it both growls at the picture and then meows kind of plaintively to the picture. Mm-hmm. There's these kind of like two opposing reactions. And they also talk about the cat only sitting at the exact corner of the table or where that two walls cat. intersect. Oh, that was another cat, but they're still talking about cats. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the cat like topic Walden's, now. like Walden's, Walden's mom's cat or <laughs> something. Know, like... Upon, yeah, entering the final episode that we'd be talking so much about Walden. Well, we talked about, I talked about him a few episodes ago being like, who is that guy? Like right. once, when Tony it's got, it's Walden. Where's Walden? <laughs> <laughs> but the, I think what the cat does reflect is this ambiguity and this un- this, this kind of like this fact that we can't know answers, that mm-hmm. there may be, that multiple answers exist. Mm-hmm. And I think this also gets towards why I love kind of readings of the ending that prescribe an answer. Yeah. But I also feel that it misses the central tenet of the show and the central kind of part of the ending, which is ambiguity. And that ambiguity is kind of the answer. Yeah. It's that we don't know, we're not supposed to know, and multiple answers exist. But maybe what you believe in is the answer. Maybe what? Maybe. Right? Maybe. But like, I think they still all exist. Even yes. if you believe that the yes. cat's dead, oh, maybe sure, the, sure, sure. the cat of course. still is alive. Of course. <laughs> of course. Quantum Sopranos. Unless you open the box, then you know for sure it's dead. Right. Is that part of I never knew that. Yeah. If you open the box, you know for sure it's dead. Well, no. If you open the box, the cat dies. That's horrible. Yeah. We don't... Can you feed the like cat cats. in the box? No. So the cat's, the cat's definitely going to die. <laughs> See? That's what you believe. Schrodinger's a dick. Cruelty against animals. I don't wow. think he actually did it. <laughs> no. I think it's like a <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> but, you know, but maybe... Yeah. So, like, yeah. Maybe it's this that, like, you know there is no answer and like there's all these possibilities and none of them are true or it comes down to like what's actually important is what you believe right and so whether it's like polly that you think that it's you know communicating with chris's ghost or whatever or you know whether you think it's just a cat and there's just a dead rat behind the wall or whether you know you think which you know people have thought this that that cat is somehow related to adriana who we've seen right you know kind of related to animals and things like that over time uh it's like it doesn't really matter like you know it's just this cat who's staring at a wall right but what does matter is how you interpret it and how what you take from it right like what do you take from that what do you get from 
yeah. the ending of Sopranos. What well, do you, you yeah. know, what does it leave you with? Definitely. And so I think like, you know, again, both of these things are also true. And I think that it, that it matters and it doesn't. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, like this idea for me of cats at the corners of tables are where two walls intersect, like a point of convergence of kind of like multiple lines yeah. that they would exist at the point where they do intersect. Yeah. Because I think the Wait, ending and those, of the And show, corners are ambiguous. Does it belong to one side or the right. other side of the wall? Right. And they can both extend from that point. So yeah. if we look at the ending as a kind of point, then there are these possibilities that extend yeah. from there, these narratives that we can spin from there that are credible. Yeah. I mean, there are so many theories like Tony is killed. Tony survives and he will be indicted and go to jail. Tony survives and beats the rap again and has beat New York. The audience got whacked. Like there's, it's endless. That one sucks, but (laughs) it's still out there. (laughs) I'm not saying it's a good theory. It's a theory. I've read about it. I know it's not, it's not a good one, but that's okay. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. If you thought that the audience got whacked, Val is judging you. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's cool. Convince us. Write us and convince us. We're yeah. we're very open. open. We're very open. We would like to hear your yeah. analysis. Def- no, ab- like absolutely that is one thing like that I I believe. And again, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying. Like all that matters really is that you believe in something. Right. Right? right. It either has meaning or it has no meaning, right? Got Those it. are the two that's, you know, that's what Phil said You're on last fire. episode. Yeah. But it, it is that, is that is what it is, right? Like it's like like what's what are what are our options in the world, right? Like is is it feasible to go through life believing that it's all a big nothing? How would how do you like how do you go through life feeling that? What what matters is believing in something. Right. And these characters all do. And whether it's like a good thing to believe in or not, I think it's it's better it's better than nihilism. Not to say that nihilism isn't the, re- the reality, right? Like not to say right. that there is something or that that's like an invalid belief. Right. But like, I think like, again, but it is a belief. Like nihilism is a belief. You believe that there is nothing. Right. You think I'm a nihilist. You're a bit not. You're right. a bit nihilistic. I mean, it's a Alex, Alex did have a teen punk band called the Nihilists. Right. In fact, I did. Um, <laughs> That's not why I'm a constructive nihilist. <laughs> no, and and like I can be swayed to nihilism, also. But right. we we differ in the way that like I, for me. I have to think that there is something like right. that, and that's my my belief is that it feels like there's nothing, but I have to believe that there's something. <laughs> Fair. So don't stop believing, Val. I will. Yeah, thank you. I won't. <laughs> I won't. I'll work on it. But yeah, the cat. Cat also leading to this mural of the tiger. Yeah. In the back of Holston. So also having gone to Holston's. Go that, Bengals. Go Bengals. <laughs> 1973 state champions. Probably when Tony was playing football, my guess. Roughly, yeah. Roughly. Very relevant. Yeah. <laughs> um, that mural was constructed for the final scene. That is not actually at no. Holston's. Holston's is not celebrating those two football players in the 1973 Bengals. Yeah. <laughs> but again, there is this like larger cat image too. Yeah. And there is this duality of the life that Tony, Tony chose and the life that Tony could have had. A, could have had again going back to test dream the moment where he goes to the bottom of his subconscious into the kind of basement of the school and confronts his high school football coach i think is one of the key moments Mm -hmm. to understanding tony soprano Mm -hmm. and to understanding the series it's a moment where we're given the closest 
and most thorough kind of level of insight into his psychology. Mm -hmm. And it's clearly very pivotal to him as a person. And I think that we witness this kind of alternate reality that he could have led. He talks about alternate realities even to Melfi. Sure. We have him being Kevin Finnerty. Kevin Finnerty, right. We, yeah, exactly. We have him also getting it at the end of Kennedy and Heidi looking up at the sun, which is interesting because right before these final moments where he goes to visit Junior, we have Carmela come out and say that the consensus is Holston. Tony mm-hmm. is looking up at the trees, and we have this shot that's kind of reminiscent of Rashomon, of mm-hmm. looking straight at the sun. Tony, again, I think like a... It's, it's his perspective, but we well, see... There's the wind and the trees. The wind and the trees, these very strong symbols of the afterlife, of death, of these eternal existential questions that Tony is kind of facing at that moment. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's looking straight at the sun, which he saw the solar flare, which triggered him getting it. Yeah. And then him talking to Melfi about understanding that there's more out there, that there are these kind of alternate realities. We are confronted with, again, this kind of quantum... Idea. Quantum Sopranos. Quantum Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. This kind of Schrodinger's cat of it is and it isn't. Yeah. And also this possibility of this alternate life, this alternate kind of universe that could have existed had Tony acted differently. Ultimately, the orbit was too strong and he didn't break out of it. Ultimately, probably nobody breaks out of the orbit. No. But the potential is there. And maybe that's the idea. That we're confronted with all these horrible actions, this lack of belief, this fundamental nihilism. But one could break it. They are human decisions. And it is the characters who choose to continue engaging in the behavior that or leads them to like this easy, big nothing. These easy, like I think these easy pathways lead us to the big nothing. Like making making easy choices is something that we've grappled with with these characters right. over and over again, right? Like AJ being one of them that you know we focus on in this episode but we've had it with other characters too that that is the pull right like living kind of like an easy life or a life that's familiar anyways or comfortable um those are the things that lead us to not break out of cycles Right. right like aj maybe aj joining the army who knows i do i strongly believe that's the best thing he could do yeah. I think that all evidence exists that AJ should join the army <laughs> <laughs> and that it is suggested that that is the antidote to mm. this toxic orbit. What What is the antidote? Getting away. Getting away. Yeah. So, uh, ar- what, the army and, is the antidote. Again, joining the yeah. army is believing in something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's even actually kind well, of suggested like religion, in the I mean, right? Like, and like all of these kind of institutions that you know people lean on when they're lo- searching for something, right? right? Like, I mean, the army's advertising definitely gets people to believe in. Well, okay, something. so that's really interesting because think about now the episode "Army of One," yes, and how that was a short-lived U.S. Army slogan. This idea of you can be an army of yes. one. Yes, and, and the then rash- what does and then what does Carmela say in this episode? Maybe the army would be great for him if there wasn't a war going on. Well, who does fight? Right? Well, sorry, I was going to oh, say... Oh, you had a different one. <laughs> well, no, I'm talking about Army of One. Carmela says, how can one soldier stop it? Right, exactly. But there is this idea of an Army of One and how the Army was actually marketing that. Sure. And how one person does have agency to yes. have an impact on the world. Yes. We've seen time and time again how Tony Soprano does impact the world around him through his decisions. Just his one It person. happens to be negatively, 
But there is potential to do something as an individual, obviously. But that rationalization is another example of using your insight for a criminal operation, basically. Mm -hmm. And constantly passing the buck and not taking responsibility and not believing in something. Is the army a criminal operation? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Let's not go there. (laughs) We're already longer than any of our... (laughs) <laughs> any of our <laughs> episodes and we're still like in the like final scene basically. yeah I know we're tying in everything because everything does tie into the yes. final scene ultimately the final scene references not only everything in this episode but everything in this series yes yes yes, yes. but I do believe that AJ does legitimately look up look happier after the SUV explodes and he looks sad at the end of the show yeah. when he's talking about how he's just like a helper and he's just getting coffee. Well, he says earlier, right? It's interesting. Like we have this progression of AJ even within this whole episode where we have him at Bobby's funeral and people are talking about Jennifer Hudson and he says, you're living in a dream. Right. Um, like America is supposed to be this place where people still like, you know, that people still think they can come and make something of themselves. And like, what is it really? And then, and then we have, right. Like when he has, like we're living in the dream, like you're talking about these stupid TV shows when there's all these things going on. And then he ends up working on a Danny Baldwin movie about a detective (laughs) that is sucked in through his data port, (laughs) which is arguably the most hilarious and stupidest idea for a movie. (laughs) I mean, it sounds real. It sounds like that's definitely a movie that's been made. That does sound like a real Daniel Baldwin movie. I mean, I love that they pick, like we've talked about this in past viewings, but I love that they pick on a lesser Baldwin for this. It's just so great. So great for me. But, you know, like that's what he ends up with, right? Like he's living in a fucking dream. (laughs) Well, he's also, like Meadow says, you're all over the place. I don't know what you're trying to say. Yeah. So we do have these glimpses into AJ's humanity. Yeah. And the fact that he does have these legitimate concerns and some level of insight where he can see things that are wrong in the world and he wants justice. Yeah. But ultimately he's always pulled back into the orbit. He always does the easy thing. And he never challenges himself to actually yeah. do something about it. So ultimately, he does end up contributing to the problem, contributing to a kind of toxic, basic culture. Yeah. And working on a movie about Daniel Baldwin as a data port sucked in data detective. virtual detective. Yeah. There's virtual <laughs> prostitutes. I guess. That's what they said. <laughs> um, but he also, you know, minutes earlier, basically, or in, at least in the prior conversation, you know, to that... Um, talks about being Trump's personal pilot. He's all over the place. He's all over the place. And also like this idea of when he's talking about, he goes on this diatribe about President Bush and going to Iraq. It's interesting because we've had all these moments of him kind of flipping through the channels, but ultimately he landed on Iraq and actually sits there. So it does kind of seem to take his focus. It does kind of seem to center him and give him some kind of vision as to what he's interested in. But Jason's response is so kind of, jingoistic and basic in an American sense of let's join up go kill some fucking terrorists and that aspect still does kind of exist for AJ like he talks about harnessing his hate and just using it against the terrorists like yeah okay cool read on the Iraq situation AJ yeah (laughs) really deep um yeah it's interesting like there's this again like living in a dream I mean dreams are definitely like you know both the American dream quote unquote as well as actual, like, our psyche and dreams in this show are very important. And I think, 
we even have these kind of strange moments in this episode where like for example we only see bobby's funeral happening on the surveillance tapes from the fbi like we're not actually mm. at bobby's funeral we also have that strange when carlo comes to talk to tony um and he says like it's not like we haven't envisioned this day or no sorry not sorry, carlo. sorry not carlo uh mink the mink. lawyer <laughs> mink. <laughs> um whatever his first name is um, it's not like we haven't envisioned this day and we have this weird surveillance footage of some of the Bing dancers on screen, right? Like one kind of like running right. down the hall and yeah. one. Uh, so we have these kind of surreal or meta, even like meta kind of moments, right? Like, and again, like this is a TV show, <laughs> right? right? Like uh, we are kind of all living in this, we, we all live in our own dreams, right? right. Again, like kind of goes back to like beliefs and things like that for me, that that is what we have, right? So whether you're AJ who is all over the place, but has all these beliefs, like that that's his reality. That's his world, right? And again, Schrodinger's box is about that too. Like what actually is true to you is your reality. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I can't quite, ma- I, I don't quite know what to make of it entirely, to be honest with you. But for me, there was a connection there. Someone no. else can do better. I like me. it. Even, you know, like uh, even that scene with Butch, right? Like Butch being on the phone mm-hmm. with Phil, right? Phil's in hiding right. out in Long Island, some on, sorry, on Long Island somewhere. Oyster Bay. And on Oyster Bay, I don't know. In Oyster Bay. Uh, in Oyster Bay. And Oyster Bay. we have, you know, Butch kind of like at first when he's on the phone with with Phil talking, you know, walking through Little Italy and in, in Manhattan and then ending up in Chinatown, which they are very close together. It's like it's this one little strip of like they say in the tour bus that drives by, it's this one little strip of Little Italy where it used to be. Well, it says be... that it used to be 40 blocks, yes. but now has been reduced to one row of shops and cafes. Yeah. So yeah, it is this kind of like sad, inevitable kind of, de- was it devolution? <laughs> de-evolution? How do you say that? Hmm. De-evolution. De-evolution? It's not devolution. <laughs> but that's how you spell it, isn't it? Nonetheless, <laughs> this sad progression yeah. of Little Italy in New York, where Italian culture has been diminished, or seemingly diminished, diminished maybe in the eyes yeah. of these characters, by the impact of other cultures kind of coming in yeah. and kind of sharing the space. Yeah. And so Butchie also looks confused and concerned as he leaves his kind of comfortable area of Little Italy yeah. into Chinatown, and also chooses to turn around and go back to yeah. his kind of comfort area. Yeah. Um, but that is a really interesting moment to see how Italian culture has kind of, in that symbolic way, shrunk. Yeah. And maybe their control of New York and their control of their world has yeah. shrunk. And in the new time of, you know, the 90s and the 2000s, there isn't really room for the for the mm-hmm. mob in corporate America. And that they do kind of yearn for these, as the song, you know, kind of implies, like, those were the days. Going back to... You know, these times that are kind of idealized and put up on yeah. a pedestal by all these characters. Yeah. Well, and even Meadow, like in her conversation with Tony, right? Like Meadow talks about like, you know, seeing how it was for the Italians and imagine what it's like for groups arriving today. Yeah. I mean, she's not going into immigration law, so I don't know what she really thinks she's going <laughs> right. to be doing with that. But, you know, whatever. Nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless there, is this, there is this kind of like aspect of, living in these kind of bubbles and and 
not being able, again, kind of like not being able to escape or feeling very uncomfortable when you do escape. Right. One thing I didn't talk about when we were talking about the final scene are those two, the two black guys who come in, right? Right. So we, we've seen the Soprano family and other families using African-American men as kind of, you know, muscle or, you know, scapegoats in a lot of... Scapegoats mostly. In a lot of really? situations. Um, and we do see one of those guys, right? He comes in and he kind of like grabs his belt he grabs like where you could potentially carry a gun right and tony's not looking tony's not looking. he actually chooses to look down when they come in as to like not make eye contact Mm -hmm. with them to Mm -hmm. like not engage and maybe be aware of what they're doing which is fascinating because maybe it feeds into his racial prejudice but also that racial prejudice could be part of the reason why he's not more aware of his surroundings at the moment that he's potentially shot right right because he chooses to look down not engage. That's actually when, if you interpret the cut to black as him being shot by man in members only jacket, he's not looking over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. So actually that racial prejudice could be his own undoing mm-hmm. at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot. <laughs> America. Um, there's a lot about America in here. It's also, you know, these images that we have when they're at, you know, Bobby's funeral after party uh, if that has a name after a fu- funeral funeral, funeral. <laughs> <laughs> after funeral where we have Carmela sitting under this image of Mount Vesuvius right in Pompeii right which we also saw Pompeii right next to that very I thing. interpret as a very yeah. key scene as the image of a devil in the casino in Las yeah. Vegas in yeah. Kennedy and Heidi we also see a Pompeii um Slot machine. And I think that there is this moment of Vesuvius erupting at the yes. end of the show. Yes. There's that. The car a, exploding and the. Yeah. And I think it's just like, it's a beautiful. Well, even more than that, just generally. Like, I think that there's been this dormant volcano mm-hmm. and it is erupting. I think that at the end of the series, the actions of Tony Soprano are now coming back to impact him. Yeah. There is a reaction to the action. It can't go on forever. Yeah. And I love that shot. It's just beautiful of. Being at Vesuvio, seeing Carmela and Tony framing the erupting yeah. Vesuvius. Yep. It is... Uh, but they're just like eating. They're not, you know. And Tony's looking at Pompeii too. He like he, It seems like he's aware of this. Carmela is not. Yeah. It is... Uh, it's a great shot. There's a lot of great shots in yeah. this episode. I mean, but. every... Like if you pause this show ever. It's beautiful. Like play with it. Like really. I, I challenge anyone to find a bad shot uh, when you pause this show, they're always just framed so beautifully. We have the scene um, in this episode as well, where we have behind Patsy, the there's the deer head again at, right. at Satrials, kind of again like yeah, during this cat conversation, yeah, talking about animals, talking about like you know that was when they were talking about like everyone needs to be looking over their shoulders, right? right. Like or in last episode is where we saw that happening in this episode we have it during this conversation about the cats and you know like these animals that don't see it you know they don't see it coming when it happens to them it's also interesting like we kind of pinpointed tony's empathy towards animals as maybe being representative of his being a being a sociopath Mm -hmm. and also yeah sociopath that's what i wanted to say but i got nervous (laughs) thought i'd sound stupid Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but there is this like connection that Tony has to this cat that Polly doesn't. Like this disconnect yeah. between them as characters and how they respond as people and how their psychology is different. Yeah. And also how 
Tony can do these fundamentally horrible things, but also kind of manifests these parts of empathy and these parts of like a better, yeah, better characteristics towards animals. Yeah, is, is interesting. We have one thing I wanted to talk about was like where we're left with Carmela. Mm-hmm. We actually like don't see her a ton in this episode, except for you know, kind of around like right. being a we'll therapist. Probably see Agent, Agent Harris about as much as we. Yeah, see her. but the one thing we do, we are left with Carmela, right? Like why she's gonna go to Holston's on her own is because she has meetings with carpenters for this investment right. property where they right. were where they were hiding out, you know, during the conflict that might but be toxic. Has, but that might be toxic right that has this odor right and she's right. making these plans right to and tony even says it like the the uh, person was nine the work the work was gonna like whatever work the restoration is going to cover up the odor right right and again it's kind of like again with the asbestos and like that this is just this toxic you, you can't cover up this toxicity right as much as you can try um it's always right. there behind the walls i think that's also exactly. like the, the rat behind the wall and yeah that's a beautiful image there's shot. always there's really always good. this kind of yeah val on fire <laughs> i'm not on fire i don't half the time i make zero sense and then sometimes <laughs> i come out with something that you think is good but, but you know th- there is this kind of like there's a there's a something truck, going on fire truck going back. maybe uh, we do live in uh flatbush maybe there's a <laughs> uh, very, mob hit <laughs> yeah yeah or or the 21st street gang 21st Street Gang could be that too. Yeah. Um, but we have we also have Tony in that scene when they're, you know, at this investment property where they were staying. We have him peeling an orange. He sure do. Which is, you know, one of these, you know, Godfather-esque kind of Not only a reference well. to the Godfather, but also a reference to season one yes. where he hits over the stand of oranges in this moment yep. of him almost dying. Yep. So something that has been set up very strongly. Yeah. And again, like it's this, you, you can never really escape like there's always this looming toxicity poison right uh, whatever it might be but also this philosophy that they have Carmela saying maybe we shouldn't be breathing it yeah the fact that she's going to sell this house to someone and also doesn't care that they would be yeah impacted <laughs> impacting people to that level sure. to possibly poisoning them poisoning them and it's like this evolution of her being a little bit concerned about maybe the baby dying in this shoddily constructed house. Yeah. And now it's kind of evolved to, we don't see Carmela's concern no. about the toxicity for others. She cares about it for herself, yeah. which really sums up how and this like family slight, has lived yeah. their whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other scene I liked, and I got like, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'll go on whatever you, I know you yeah. have a lot. Um, but the other one that I wanted to talk about was just like our last, our last scene with, our last scenes with Agent Harris. Right. Who I love. Like, again, he's a character that I really am drawn to in this show. So we we do have him giving information to Tony in the end, right? Yeah. Like, we see him we see him grapple with this, right? Love like, it. I actually love the end of his arc, and I think it's more meaningful than I've given it credit. Yeah. So we have him, you know, th- th- we start off with this scene... You know, Tony kind of waking up in the house and they go out in this beverage van and you know, he's waiting with Polly, um, listening to this music, right? We don't know who he's waiting for. He gets, he, this, these car lights flash on him. He gets out. He walks to this other person's car, right? Which we don't see Tony doing that often. Like he's not in the position of power in this moment. Right. And he's trying to get this information from, from Harris. There's snow, the wind is blowing, 
um, he doesn't get it. And then Harris kind of cracks, right? Like Harris kind of like needs to tell Tony that something like where Phil is located, right? And then we see him with his coworker later, agent, right. other guy, that he's like, we're going to win this thing. Right, which is a little concerning to him. It's really, yeah, I mean, I'm concerned also. So we see that, like, he's kind of, he yells at his wife on the phone yeah. when he's in the car with Tony. He's, I think, cheating on him. I don't think his wife is an agent. He, Definitely like, you not. Know. <laughs> and that agent also doesn't approve of Harris and what Harris is doing and right. that, like, you know, like giving information to a criminal. Yeah. Um, so check it out actually I think that's a major moment yeah and I think there is this yin and yang aspect of the white including the black and the black including the white and Agent Harris who we're supposed to see as this good character does exhibit these poor qualities and ultimately his final evolution is into somebody very conflicted very complicated and also somebody who maybe impacts the world in a rather negative way yeah uh, sorry, I'm using my hand. I just hit my <laughs> my stand, but that's this okay. Is just in our living room. I'm just so. <laughs> uh, excited about this. Yeah, <laughs> no, and I agree. Like, but I think like, you know, he like even though Harris got this new job with the anti-terrorism unit, he still can't escape from Tony's orbit too. Exactly. And like, and again, like being you know being a police officer, being in the FBI, be like doing a lot of jobs out in the world. Like, you see some fucked up stuff. Right, and other people around you don't understand. Tony does understand death, and the, you know, like Tony understands these things, and so there is this kind of like putting yourself in the orbit with these criminals, right? right? Like in some ways, they understand you better than the people in your life, like your wife, who just wants you to come home and you know, right, eat dinner, right. At an appropriate time. I think there's just like that moment is a moment of transformation, like immediate transformation for Agent Harris as a character. I think you could read it as a possible reading is that maybe actually this is like the first time that he's cheating on his wife. Mm. And there's like this transformation and that he chooses that Mm, time mm, to mm, feed mm, the information mm. to Tony. Mm. Because it's almost like he he embraces that negative aspect of his character. We see him struggling with it. We see him s- struggling with when he's at Satriel. Should he run after Tony? Should he tell yeah. them that there's another attempt on his life? Yeah. But in that moment, it's the moment where he chooses to break down the family norms and what's perceived as acceptable and good behavior yeah. that he decides to tell Tony where Phil is, yeah, like which is he, a huge he's kind, of, he's kind of embracing his evil That's parts or whatever, right? I yeah. mean, he's basically killing somebody. Yeah. And when he finds out that Phil dies, his yeah. reaction is, we're going to win this thing. Yeah. So all of a sudden, he's complicit. Totally. He's like, yeah, aiding and abetting Tony. Yeah. Yeah, which is wild. And I think that there is, that's a really fascinating evolution to the FBI cop character yeah. on the show. But you see, I mean, he's like, what a great character. Again, like he, like I mentioned, he was one of the ones that this YouTube channel used to have a full arc of his. Not a ton of screen time. We don't spend a lot right. of time with Agent Harris, right? However, we see this de-evolution of this character, of, <laughs> um, of this guy who, you know, is try- is I think like you know from the beginning like trying to do good in the world, right? Like trying to make a difference, you know, f- like whatever in his time with you know dealing with the crime families and whatever prosecuting them for their crimes, moving into this anti-terrorism unit where. 
you know, you're trying to protect a country from, you know, something like September 11th, which occurs in the context of this show, and then not having any, like, there's no winning, right? And same with the Iraq, you know, well, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq conflict, right? That there's this, like, this feeling that people are out there doing good, but it's kind of futile, right? Like, there's actually nothing really happening besides more, like, you know, or evil like he's he's talking about going to newark and there was this guy who was getting on a plane he's like well maybe we stopped it or maybe they were just trying to see our reaction or maybe it was bad information right he's not feeling fulfilled in his life right. either and so you know something like in some ways like it, you could read it as you know he is protecting someone who he cares about Right. And he can actually make a difference there. He can actually... It's complicated. Yeah. It's gray area. It's really gray. You know, as it should be. Uh, I also love the scenes. Sorry, now I'm kind of jumping. I'm, That's it's, okay. It's tiring to do such a long episode. <laughs> but um, uh, I wanted to talk about Janice, and I wanted to talk about um, the scene where there is this... It's just like a great scene. Maybe I'll talk about it first. The where George has brokered this George <laughs> this meeting. Right. I love when we meet like characters like you're like okay okay George, George. <laughs> yeah George is the one brokering this meeting and Walden right. <laughs> is a character. But no like so there's this meeting in that like fact in like a mechanic shop mm-hmm. factory and it's this like very, they're very cold right they're all sitting there in their jackets yeah and. There's, Nobody drinks any water. No ablution. <laughs> no, exactly. This, right. These water bottles are sitting on the table. And yeah, they've like come to this quote unquote like peace agreement. Right. But it's this cold. I don't know. There's just something about that yeah. scene where like you're not left feeling, you know, even little Carmine walking away. I forget what he says when he walks away. Like it didn't have to be this way or mm-hmm. something like that. Right. Like he, um, there was this hope kind of for these at least like collegial relationships between New Jersey and New York, right? But now I don't know what we're really left with there or what the future of the New York with Phil dead now. Yeah. Right. Excellent like question. where that's gonna go, where the relationship between those two families is going to be in the future. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. But there is that like kind of like that wrapping up of that in some ways in that scene yeah. in this like very industrial, dark, cold yeah. place. Um. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah, it is. It is interesting, and I think it's that, just like again, like when you talk about like a visual, like visual genius of this show, like right. freeze frame any of those shots. Wow. Yeah. And it's also like more of a classic mob shot. Like it reminds me of when they're in Miami, right? Meeting with those. Well, it reminds me of the scene from Cleaver where, like, right. that we see, exactly. like you know, where he's like they're in this auto body shop and. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally, and that's interesting, right? Good catch, actually, because this show very rarely jumps into mafia tropes. Yeah. So the fact that at the moment of investigating this New York, New Jersey sit down where they figure out the mob war is actually taking place in the same environment as Cleaver takes place, which is this kind of like meta take on the genre, which is a little bit dismissive. and With Danny Baldwin. Offensive. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that they put it there is interesting. Yeah. I agree. Definitely interesting. Um, I have kind of stray observations. Yeah, well, I want to talk about Janice a little bit. Janice, let's talk about yeah, Janice. Cause yeah, because I think, like, again, like, I think we we will do a 
at, maybe not a season six. Be, I don't know. We'll have to figure we'll it see. out. But, you know, like we, we do really like to examine characters arcs throughout seasons. But like, I mean, obviously, like I kind of want to think about them at this point as, you know, overarching from the whole show. Right. And we do get this closure with Janice a little bit more than we get with other characters in this episode. We got actually a lot of time with Janice in this episode, truly, mm. like more than we've gotten of her in a lot of the show. Right. Where we have a couple, we have these couple different scenes with her, right? We have uh, Tony going to her place and she's lying on the patio, right? We're in this house that used to belong to Johnny Sack. Her husband's dead. Her stepson wants to go with his aunt. She's trying to keep the other stepdaughter there, you know, to be the older sister to this other child that she and Bobby have had. Yeah. And, but she's making these jokes and she's talking about their family, right? Like she's talking about these jokes that only, like you have to be in the family to get. Right. And that other people don't. Like, you know, Bobby took it too seriously, right? Or like, only you, Tony, would know that this is a joke. Right. And, um, you know, and so we get we get her, you know, really, you know, obviously distraught. Like, I, I don't doubt that Janice cared about Bobby and their life. And I think it is a little bit more like, you know, the life that they were able to have because of Bobby's involvement with Tony's family. But then we do get her, we get her going to see Junior mm-hmm. later on. Also, mm-hmm. we get, you know, we kind of get an update on or in like a very, you know, kind of one off way about Harpo. Hal. Harpo slash Hal. Um, and like her creating this new nuclear family. I guess this squashing the theory that Harpo was the one killed in Montreal, but maybe she wouldn't know. It's maybe she possible. wouldn't know. And yeah, who knows when he changed the his name to Hal. <laughs> it's possible. But, you know, like Janice. Janice is this other, you know, this other person who didn't escape, you know. Re- I mean, Janice really did escape for a while. Like, she was away. She I mean, was... her life was weird and sucked. Yeah, but she... She was dating, like, a pizza delivery boy at one she point. She was. That, but that's even after. That's when she leaves again, right? Like, we enter this show with Janice having been away for a long time. Right. At the very beginning yeah. of this show. But I don't think her life was that cool. No, no. She was, like, she changed her name to... Right. Pravanti or whatever. Yeah. Pravanti, pra- something stupid. Parvati. 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 I just don't like Janice. <laughs> yeah. Parvati. Good job. But uh, but we're left with her here. Like like what what's Janice's future? You know, will she just find another mob husband? Right, which she does mm. joke about. Right, like right. she has to watch her watch her weight because she needs to get another husband. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, she, like, Tony, like, does say, like, you know, create this new nuclear family, which she'll never have that. Like, Harpo's never going to come and live with her. Right. You know, Um, and then we have her going to see Junior and, you know, only really, like, I I think her only purpose really is to get the money that Junior might have. Well, we actually have Junior, one of the moments where we actually see some lucidity with him is where he's saying... Janice when he looks at mm-hmm. the picture and he says she left the stove on on purpose yeah right so he actually does recognize Janice as this kind of snake in the grass and yeah. actually as kind of demented as he's become um can recognize that that's the one thing that he does recognize yeah. and actually leaves us with so it really does suggest um that Janice is after the money and that is what Pat suggests as well 
who clearly has a closer connection yeah. to Junior than pretty much anyone else. Yeah. Also, we're left with Janice in this house where when Tony visits, he reminisces about when Johnny Sack bought it not that long ago. How there all was you could fields. see was farmland. And now it's this kind of in this suburban environment. So again, Janice now has to deal with, like everybody else, existing in a world that is more and more difficult to operate in as a member of the mafia because yeah. there's no room for it. It's yeah. essentially been pushed out. Yep. And whereas Johnny Sack was kind of king of that domain, he's, that house has actually kind of been enveloped by the normalness and the normalcy yeah. of American Good. suburban life by yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... He brings her Ferraras. He brings her... Which is a great choice. I have to say, great job, Tony. He's not all bad. Yin and yang. There's some white and the some black. Some yummy cannolis. Ferraras... It's a little expensive, but it might be the best, my favorite cannoli, standard cannoli in New York. For chocolate-covered cannolis, Did he go into New I York like to a Gideos. Well, I guess he was talking to New York. He's probably talking to Butchie. He went to Ferrars. It's a great choice. Yeah. It's a great cannoli. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to come back before maybe we do some stray thoughts. And I think, again, coming back to this central philosophy of The Sopranos, you know, that these questions of, what is there is it all a big or is it all a big nothing right who are you and where are you going and we do have this i mean the last time we see paulie right mm -hmm. we have this conversation between him and tony and they're talking about again these superstitions that they have and tony says to paulie um i'm not saying there's nothing, nothing out, out there, there but, but to not live your life yeah. but to not live your life go ahead i'm sorry i just i'm i was thought i'd be reading along with you because i wrote oh. it out <laughs> I, I i paraphrase typically i think um, it's i'm not saying but to not live your life go ahead actually that next word i wrote very poorly so oh. <laughs> you got it what the oh i see wtf what the fuck are you gonna do yeah <laughs> i was like what what the what, fuck are you gonna what do <laughs> And, and I think, again, like I said, like that kind of comes back to that central message too, is like, you know, um, that you have, you have to hold on to something. You have to keep believing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also a testament to Tony's narcissism. I'm not saying that there's yes. nothing oh, out there, but to not live him. your life, what the fuck are you going to do? It's dismissive of the impact that you have yep. on others. Yeah. And ultimately, when Polly does accept, the cat comes over, which is interesting, too. So we have these maybe different possible interpretations. It's a moment where lines could diverge. Yeah. And we could interpret it in different ways. Maybe it is cursed. Maybe Polly's correct. Maybe Polly is going to die. Like everybody before him. Yep. If you I mean, have a kind of supernatural reading of those elements, then the, the evidence is kind of laid out that Polly probably would die. Definitely. I mean, also, he's the oldest now of right. all these guys well junior i mean you know like again kind of going back to this like this curse and this genealogy right that we look at these different generations and where they're left in the end of this yeah like junior's the last of that generation Polly was part of that too right like Polly was kind of he was younger than johnny boy and junior right but not by a lot like he's part he is part of this kind of like older generation it's just that he kind of like never you know, grew up, quote unquote. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, he like stayed single and stayed right. young and was this kind of uncle right. character. And 
like he probably you know at least if we think about you know characters living to the end of their lives like he's probably is the next one to die probably talks about his prostate thing you know he had had the prostate (laughs) (laughs) right but you know and so yeah and but he's like polly's such a i wish like i always wish we like knew polly better because he is such like a weird like a weird duck like how does he see his life and his purpose in life right i don't know yeah absolutely especially now with his mom dead and well slash his aunt you know but right (laughs) but yeah these these ultimate places where people find themselves are really interesting i think there is maybe multiple readings on Polly, but on other people it seems more clear cut to me like the kids we've talked about a lot yeah carmella in real estate there is this kind of like inevitability to her also engaging in this kind of toxic behavior yep. that I think is really interesting yep. because for most of the show she's more complicit yes. than involved in criminal and now operations she's really involved. and now yeah. she's rather involved yeah uh, it's not as obvious as what Tony does but the fact that she would overlook something toxic that she wouldn't want to breathe in in yeah. the house and would sell it to somebody else or yeah. basically get people to lean on inspectors and have shoddy worksmanship is very concerning yeah and she has agency in that, and ultimately she has chosen who she wants to become, and she's chosen yep. to become a pretty bad person. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. She's not just turning a blind eye anymore. No. She's involved. Yep. Um, AJ, we talked we've talked about. a lot about, but there is this aspect, too, of him becoming his father. And uh, even, like, after the car blows up and Tony's talking to him and AJ uses vocabulary and language like isn't that what you have insurance for it's that kind of rationalization to heinous acts that just kind of mimics what tony has been doing for the whole show and has the way that he's lived his life and ultimately leads me to believe that there isn't maybe that much hope for him and that he will be following the same cycle and if we were to revisit the next generation we would follow aj and maybe find some of the same issues yeah albeit in a different place i don't think i see aj do you think he'll ever open his club I don't know. Depends on your interpretation of the ending. What do you think happens to Tony? <laughs> I can give you an answer depending on what happens to Tony. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. Honestly, I think most endings that we could possibly interpret lead to the financial downfall of the Soprano family. Mm-hmm. Things are probably going to be pretty bleak for all of them yep. after that point. I mean, whether he dies, yep. whether he goes to jail. Yep. Like we saw with Johnny Sack. It's pretty unlikely that he just beats everything and is fine yeah. and business continues as usual. Yeah. Like, best case scenario, he's not dead. Okay. Carlo Gervaisi, one of his main... Guys. His main guys, the capo, is testifying against him. He would have enough information... Ca... Capo. Yeah, you did it. I did it. Yeah. I did it. Finally, the last episode. I yeah. didn't even have to think about it. Yeah. Capo. Capo. <laughs> we were told to say it correctly. I didn't say it correctly before. <laughs> Um, chances are he's going to be arrested. I don't, not only is it 85 to 90% that he's indicted, I think the odds are pretty similar that he's arrested. Yeah. Even kind of the rationalization of his lawyer, like trials are made to win. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of a platitude. Like, I don't think Tony would beat that. Yeah. It's not like we haven't envisioned this day. Yeah. And yet it's possible they could kill Carlo. That's what the mob does, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we also have these alternate kind of 
stories that are presented to us very quickly, like Hunter Scangarello coming back and how she's in her second She's year in of, med school. She's in med school and how Carmela's upset about that. But how she actually did change is interesting. How she was kicked out of school for drunk driving and, and then ended up going to purchase and getting her act together. Um, she actually kind of embodies somebody who... Like did redeemable. Kind of, yeah, that redemption does exist and how actually that frustrates, annoys, and angers Carmela. Yep. Because she hasn't done that. It yep. is really interesting. Yep. Um, and Meadow won't. And Meadow probably won't. Yeah. According to Val's interpretation. Mm. Val's ultimate interpretation. Of Meadow. Um, there's more to me about that idea of the good old days. Mm-hmm. Like those were the days... Um, even like the statement of they basically find Phil because there's only a couple stations that have payphones anymore. Right. This idea of like payphones yeah, essentially becoming e- extinct. Yeah. And how they actually are able to use that yeah. to their advantage because the mafia still relies on these old devices. Yeah. Is really I like that. Is really interesting. Well, we have a thing with phones in this show too. It's so ultimately their own downfall, right? Yeah. Their unwillingness to adapt. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and phones are something that... I mean, think about Pine Barrens. There's so much about communication and phones and phone calls and reception. I think Polly's phone ringer is Celia by Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, it is. It's a good song. (laughs) Those are our new comments. Like, it's a good song. I like it. (laughs) Um, Tony bringing up Livia and AJ's therapy and ultimately just beginning a new cycle of manipulating a new... Therapist. A new therapist is interesting. Carmela not having any of it. No, Carmela is like... being in complete control. Yeah. And ultimately being able to pull the strings of somebody very easily. If anything, he's probably just trained through his experience with Melfi in order to bring attention to himself, but also displaying him as this complete narcissist, not really being concerned about himself. It's not about, about AJ. Yeah. It's not about AJ, and he turns it into being about himself. Successfully. Yeah. Silvio, we're left with yeah. in a coma... The last thing we hear about his condition is that he probably won't wake up from it. Yeah. Ultimately, regardless of your reading of the ending, the Soprano family is kind of decimated. Yeah. Bobby's gone. Silvio is gone for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Tony is Carlo probably is gone. gone. <laughs> Carlo is gone. What are we really left with? And if we interpret it as Tony going to jail or being killed. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? And would it even exist? Yeah. It's actually more likely that the New York family could get involved and kind of take over the operations. Yeah. And that that's the end. So maybe we've seen the end of The Sopranos. Yeah. Maybe that's the end of the dynasty. Yeah. And maybe okay. that's a possible reading. Um, yeah, like, you know, again, like, and I think it is kind of with this, like, Patsy versus Polly, because those are kind of like the top guys now. Right. Right. Um, and, like, are either of them really capable of running a family? Right. No. You know. No. <laughs> <laughs> Patsy may be more than Polly, but who yeah, knows? Kind of. Yeah. yeah probably not. <laughs> yeah. Going back to the last scene, I just want to kind of focus on these kind of two things that um, we were talking about. Just kind of the representation of America that exists with the characters that are there. The Boy Scouts. The... USA The hat. couple... USA hat. It's kind of, yeah, like Joe Everyman. These black guys. These African-Americans that are there. This kind of melting pot that exists at this kind of soda fountain place. And the focus on all of them and their stories 
that are happening around the Sopranos mm. and how the Sopranos are essentially an American story mm-hmm. and part of the kind of mm-hmm. tapestry that mm-hmm. is that is America. And this mural, I just think, is so pivotal. And I think that like actually, the, the you know, white, like those I don't think we talked about that yet. House. My no, God, that's like one of the more important things. But we have an image of the Tiger, the 1973 state champions. And we have this white school, which I guess I can imagine is the Bloomfield School, where the football team is from. But the white school is extremely reminiscent of these white houses that have been associated with the afterlife. We've seen it with Livia walking down the stairs in Tony's dream. We've seen it with the house that Steve Buscemi... I just call him Steve Buscemi now, not Tony. (laughs) That Steve Buscemi is killed Tony B, yeah. Doesn't everybody remember that actor Steve Buscemi before he got shot by Tony Soprano at a house? (laughs) Um, there are multiple examples throughout the series of a house that looks like that. Actually, I think Uncle Pat's uh, cottage, farmhouse, this place kind of from Tony's childhood that is related to death Mm -hmm. and is where Steve Buscemi is kind of inviting Tony in and he doesn't want to go to. Well, ultimately, we're left with that place in the last scene. Yeah. So between Tony confronting basically all the symbols that we've had of the afterlife and death going all the way back to the first episode of water, trees, now the sun, this white house, and confronting maybe the central aspect of his subconscious, this inability to be a football player, to follow a different trajectory. Going back to the pilot, talking about an overdub, talking about how it was like a terrible blow to his self-esteem when his uncle junior said that he would never be a varsity athlete. There's this central aspect of his psychology that we're confronted with at the end of the show. Mm -hmm. And as the show ends and as it dies or Tony dies Mm -hmm. or we're left to ruminate what actually happens, there is this kind of framing of the end Mm -hmm. and also Tony's key focus in his, of his psychology, Mm -hmm. what's important to him. Mm -hmm. And However you read it, it could suggest that he dies. It could be a symbol of the afterlife, of death. But it also just suggests finality. Mm-hmm. And it also suggests these key psychological aspects of Tony as a character. Well, it's kind of this, it's like a house for your for your psyche in some ways too. Like it's this right. place where it's like stored, right? Because we think about the basement of the school, right? If that is the school in the mural, which right. I think it is. Interesting. Oh, I didn't right? even get that. Like wow. that, this is, that this is this place that is like the deepest part of Tony's, of Tony's psyche, right? right? That there's this like, and again, these white houses and these places where these dark parts of your, or whatever, not even just dark parts, like where all these parts of your person and who you are kind of live and are stored. Right. And I think that's, you know, again, with the focus on dreams in this show and of, you know, therapy and psychology, that it is this image of, like, the impact that that has on people, right? right. Like, that your your psyche, it's this big house that's always just, like, coming around with you, <laughs> um, where all these things live. And it's hard to access. Yeah. But, you know, important to do so. I don't, Absolutely. I don't think we leave this show with, like, a... Uh, I don't think that Chase's idea of the subconscious and of dreams is that they aren't important. Yeah. And, you know, you're, the way you're raised and, you're, no. and, even, and even your genes, right? Your, gene, your nature and your nurture and, you know, all these. Like I, I, for me, like I'm, you know, 
I, I think he's puts a lot of importance on those right. those elements. And ultimately, Tony maybe doesn't fully access them and reflect on them and come to an understanding of them, but we can. And as an audience, we're given these same questions, and it's up to us to work through them. Mm-hmm. And that's... Well, and in our own lives too, right? Like, right. To like look at like who are you and where are you going and what are the things that you were given by your family and what are the things that you know uh, what are the orbits that you struggle to escape from and to really you know that there isn't like there's not going to be a black and white answer to those things but it's like what you i don't know what you do with it absolutely and that and that all these possibilities can all exist at the same time yeah like tony can be kevin finnerty at the same time (laughs) as being tony and he you know um and in some ways he is this every man patio salesman too mm-hmm. patio furniture salesman um or he's this guy who like sometimes in the good moments cares about his family right and is torn about the decisions that he makes and then at other moments he's not right absolutely they can all exist at the same time yeah and i think like all these endings that we talk about they can all exist at the same time too it's like part of the part of the fun <laughs> part, part, of, <laughs> part of it like part of life right like that they're like they're all of these all of these potentials all exist in the same moment yeah and it's about what you believe in quantum sopranos quantum sopranos <laughs> wow i think that's it that's it no, okay. <laughs> for me at least i don't yeah. know i want to know I what you're right i have any like weird like just like a weird, i would love like, to know your stray observations I, uh, I, I think i kind of covered them to be honest. i didn't really like get a bunch of them but it'd be funny if we left on being like uh <laughs> like i don't know something about walden or something <laughs> the kinda, key to this show uh, is walden <laughs> yeah oh oh the magic bullet commercial that's playing in the <laughs> yeah let's leave it with some levity yeah it's a very serious show magic bullet's a great um, appliance. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? <laughs> no, you know what? I didn't write that many things like that down. Um, I love, you know, this show always gives us, it, it's a gift really, but it also, it gives us, you know, these moments to laugh at and it gives us these really deep psychological, right. philosophical questions and it gives us complexity and multiple possibilities so yeah. i think it's and i think it is like the great american television show and a turning point in television as a genre too because it is everything it is yeah. so so funny yeah it is so profound it's so yeah. philosophical there are so many layers it's to so it. artful we can view it strictly for its narrative and it's so compelling and yet there are all these amazing lessons to be learned from it underneath the surface mm-hmm. all these complexities that exist on different levels i mean all of the the mastery of film film that exists with it referencing and, and other acting. films yeah tying together threads throughout yeah. the actual show looking at the breakdown of form both both on a yeah on like, a season level what is television yeah uh and really yeah asking questions of what is television and what can it be yeah. and turning it more into um a kind of a discipline like high thing. art yeah yeah and and really turning it into art yeah so i guess that's it i guess that's it it's been a long time working on this podcast <laughs> i'm looking forward to having a little bit more disposable time when we have disposable time not uh 
frantically recording Sopranos episodes to make sure that they get out there for deadlines. Yeah. But it's been very fun. No, We've really enjoyed it. This, like, this was a project that was for us. Yeah. It didn't really start out as anything that was for an audience necessarily. Right. We just love talking um, about it and thinking about it. Yeah. And this was a way for us to kind of get our ideas together and to uh, also connect like with challenge, people who are interested. Yeah, to challenge ourselves to really think deeply, you know, because it's, I think, like an easy, it's easy to watch things, mm-hmm. to consume art and to just consume it and that's it and not do anything with it. And I think it's challenged us to uh, think deeply about issues that are really important that this show brings up and to, I don't know, yeah, like put it out there instead of just, you know, watching it and being like, that was a great episode of TV. Right. Which we never did to begin with, but, you know. uh, We didn't talk about like how cool it was when Philly Turtle got whacked. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that cool. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's been, it's been fun. It's been very fun. Thank you for listening. If we you, do really appreciate if it. If you have been. If you have been, if you made it this far. <laughs> yeah. And. Yeah, we, we really appreciate Again, like we love to nerd out about The Sopranos and talk about these things with each other, but also with other people. And so like, I think it's been a, a real gift to like also find other people who want to talk about this crazy thing with us. Yeah. And also, I mean, on this viewing, we've also tried to kind of limit our reading before talking about this we show. We haven't as, read it before as, this. Yeah. Like, but also, like, kudos to some of the people who have been out there writing about the show and analyzing it. And at least for myself, really opened it up. Like, yeah. really changed my understanding of the show, especially the website Sopranos Autopsy. Can't wait Ron, for him to do his last episode. I can't wait to read it. He's an amazing... I haven't read He's an amazing season. thinker, an amazing yeah. writer. And... Um, we're just really grateful for people like that who have been contributing to the body of work on the it. body of work on the Sopranos and thinking about it and helping people like us think about it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so hopefully that's our contribution yeah. to throw something out there. Yeah, I mean, again, like we talk about this, like neither of us have a film background at all. Right. Zero. Yeah. Um, we're just, yeah. <laughs> and so, like you know, sometimes like I wish I had better, um, you know insight into right. some of those elements as well but i think we've also like it's this has forced us to learn a lot Absolutely. at least for myself about this too and i think i don't know we'll see what we try to do next but yeah maybe just more learning more learning we yeah. love to learn we're curious and we like stuff like this we like <laughs> the sopranos fun. yeah yeah so okay that's all <laughs> thank you so much for listening if you've been listening the whole time really thank you so much for listening and being with us on this journey and we'll be back with at some point a discussion over six feet yes bye